So Money episode 650, Ask Farnoosh with special guest co-host, Megan Betterman. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back on this Friday, November 10th, 2017. If you've been following the show, you know that we have hit a huge milestone, 5 million downloads. What? Can you believe it? It's uh, it's still unbelievable. It hasn't quite sunk in. I mentioned this last week uh, as we crossed the threshold late last week. And then uh, this whole week, it's been great to just, uh, you know, reflect on the almost three years that we've been doing this podcast. And by we, I mean my very, very, very small team of com- me and, and some of our editors and of course my assistant, Sophia. And it's just been a wild ride. I have to say, you know, I, I've Anyone who is listening who wants to know how to really dominate in an industry, become recognized as a thought leader, a go-to expert in their niche, uh, my advice to you based on having done this podcast is not necessarily to do a podcast. It's not for everybody, but be prolific. You know, do something consistent, be thoughtful, be engaging, be in tune to your audience and I think over time, you know, when you put the good work out and you do it day in and day out, it's a grind, but it has a huge payoff. And this podcast has, I can't even tell you some of the things that it has allowed me to do. I mean, obviously there's the the revenue from the sponsorships, but that's small in comparison to how I've been able to really leverage this podcast to expand my reach. You know, it's been a great talking point as I've been in meetings with television producers, magazine editors, and they are often so curious about how this show gets developed, the things that I'm learning. I'm learning so much. It keeps me so informed and on my feet and current as far as what's happening in the personal finance space. So that helps me do just be better at me and my job. And I think that has translated to more work, more trust in me and, and people hiring me to, to sort of be a, a financial voice um, for them on their behalf. And so... All this to say, thank you, because it could not have been possible without your support. Some of you have been writing in saying you've been with me since day one when I was going seven days per week and, of course, hit a wall at some point. But now we're at three days a week. It's a comfortable place to be in. I like three days. It's a nice pace. I think we're going to stick with it in 2018, but lots more to come in the new year. So encouraging you to stay on. And uh, again, thank you so much for all your encouragement, all your feedback. Our guest today, our co-host today is a listener. I'm curious to know how long she's been listening to the show, if she's been with us since uh, day one or at what point did she learn about the show? But Megan Betterman is here and she is a a really impressive listener as all of you are just really accomplished. But let me just brag about Megan for a little bit before bringing her on stage. 
Megan is on a mission to train women how to negotiate their compensation. And she actually has a free gift for all of us. I'll let her share that in just a second. She wants to train women on how to negotiate their compensation, earn their full value and advance their career goals. She recently started a consulting business to bring this mission to life and offers group workshops as well as individual training. She also leads, she has a full-time job. She leads a team of digital marketing strategists for a nonprofit healthcare organization in Minneapolis. She recently finished her MBA and uh, she spends her free time traveling the world, perfecting paleo recipes, teaching yoga along with meditation, and of course, listening to this podcast. Megan, come on, come on stage. How are you? Thanks, Bernice. I'm doing great. Congratulations on how the show is progressing with all the downloads you've got. Thank you. I, I, I can't really, uh, I can't really fathom 5 million in my head, uh, but know that thanks to you, you contributed to some of that 5 million. When did you first uh, become a fan of the show? I think it was probably about a year and a half ago. And I've since shared it with many friends who I know have become devout listeners as well. So we all talk about the episodes and what you're talking about online. It's great. I have to ask, I'm curious, what is it about the show specifically that keeps you coming back? I mean, there's got to be something, right? And I don't know what it is. I'm just hanging out here being myself, asking lots and lots of questions, but is it a certain like tone? Is it, is it the kinds of questions? Are there things that you would like to see that aren't currently in the show program? I love your combination of guests who come on, bring in great people. You also, with the Ask Furnish podcast, I love the questions that come in through the speed or the speak pipe and how you answer everything so bluntly. And so honestly, I think you do a really great job of providing that financial advice to people in a real, in a real and genuine way. Well, thank you. Yes. SpeakPipe has been a really fun tool. I mean, at first I think people were a little nervous leaving voicemails, but increasingly we have had uh, more and more and more of these voice questions. And we have a couple today. Tell us a little bit more, Megan, about your venture to help women earn their worth at the workplace. What I really started to notice in my career at Health Partners is I observed a lack of confidence in some of the women I was interacting with and leading. And I tried to figure out what would be something tangible I could teach that might help on that front. And what I landed on is negotiation of salary, compensation, everything that comes into that is an area that I've had success with and that I could make an impact with women in the workplace. So I founded a consulting business to start teaching this skill set to women And the ripple effects have been huge in terms of women asking for more money, more flexibility, mentorship, better titles. And I've really been excited to see many women taking more control in their personal lives as well as their careers from what they're learning from the negotiation teachings, either in workshops or one-on-one training. So it's been a really exciting business and I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I'm impressed with this side hustle. Very inspiring because what you did essentially was recognize a need in your environment. You know, you didn't go uh, outside and it wasn't a real reach. This was something that was very important and unserviced right in your workplace. And tell us, uh, you know, how you've been getting the word out. And also tell us about the free gift for all of us. We love freebies. Yes, definitely. I'll start with the free gift. So I created a quick download that's free at meganbetterman.com slash tips. And it's a PDF that's all about the top nine mistakes to avoid when negotiating your compensation. So it's a quick one sheet to understand how to make sure your negotiation goes well for the next time you have that opportunity. 
All right. MeganBetterman.com slash tips. And Megan is spelled M-E-G-A-N. Betterman is B-E-T-T-E-R-M-A-N.com slash tips. And uh, nine most common mistakes. What What is one? Give us a tease. One would be not necessarily giving your leader a heads up that you'd like to talk about compensation. That surprise attack on asking for more money can be really stressful for your leader. I've experienced that and... Now I give a a little advanced warning when I'd like to talk about money. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, We sort of feel like maybe if we disclose that we want to talk about salary or promotion that uh, we will never get the meeting or the meeting will just get uh, buried. But better to be transparent about your intent than to kind of be passive aggressive about it. Totally agree. And I think in my early 20s, that may have been my in intuition is to be like, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to get the meeting first <laughs> and then bring up the actual reason why I called the meeting. But I, I agree. I think when you, um, if you were on the other side of that, I think you'd appreciate a heads up. Uh, all right. So Megan, let's, shall we tackle these, uh, these questions from the mailbag? Yes. Lots of great ones in here and they're all quite different from each other. Yes. Uh, again, hats off to the audience. They, they really bring in a lot of thoughtful, I think sophisticated questions. We have Annie here who actually left a voicemail. As we mentioned, people love re- leaving the voicemails now. And uh, it's a speak pipe voicemail. I'll let the question roll and then we will tackle it. Here we go. Here's Annie. Hi, Farnoosh. This is Annie. I'm a 48-year-old single. I own a condo that is worth around 80000 but I owe 130000 on it. I bought it back in 2004, and the value had gone down quite a bit. I make 44000 and my housing cost is 40% of my take-home pay. I have about um, 30000 of non-mortgage debt and only 16000 in my 401k savings. Do you think I should do a short sale and move home with my parents until I can get my debts paid? Or should I just try to stick it out until I can get a better paying job? My HOA does not allow me to rent except to family members, and none of them are looking to move right now. Thanks for your help. Okay, so Annie wants to know whether she should cut her losses now, doing this short sale, moving in with her parents, until she can basically get to debt zero or should she stick it out until getting a better paying job? I know this is easier said than done, Annie, but you've got two women here on the phone on the podcast who are side hustlers. If you're going to just hope to get that better paying job or maybe get a bit of a raise at work, I don't know if that's really going to be enough money, frankly, to pay off all this debt. I I would prefer that you maybe take it upon yourself and it may take a little bit of time, but think about what is a great way to increase my my net income by creating a, a revenue stream that I can control right? Something that I can do on the side and you can start small. You know, you can start by looking for tasks online. You don't have to create an LLC tomorrow, but you can go online and find some gigs that you can immediately do based on your skill set and your resources, things that are around the neighborhood or virtual that you can do from home or on the weekends and start to bring in that extra few hundred dollars a week, a month. From there, you'll start to realize what you like to do, what you're good at. You'll test drive your skills and gain confidence knowing that people will actually pay you for things that maybe you've been taking for granted that are very special to you. 
and that people would pay for. And I would say do that for the first maybe two or three months then maybe transition over to becoming maybe a a more robust freelancer. But that is for me, that has been for me the the best way to achieve financial goals. I did it in my 20s to pay down debt. I still do it to uh, build up my bank account, build up my reserves, my retirement account, feel have more financial security. And I think you could also chime in here, Megan, and say that, you know, having that side hustle is a great way to achieve financial freedom, especially if you're in debt. Absolutely. That was where I was going to go as well of having that side business. I would also add in another point to possibly talk to your lender about changing the terms of your mortgage, maybe spacing it out a little bit more. Maybe looking at that front could be something to evaluate in addition to a side hustle to make it all more manageable for you. Yes, absolutely. Like, don't think that you just have to do the short sale or the foreclosure or, you know, we always feel like we have to go to the worst possible compromise, but uh, see if there is a way to modify the loan, refinance it, remodify it. I think going to your lender with questions is always helpful because you don't know what you don't know. And going on the website is not going to answer all your questions or just assuming is not going to answer your questions. You need to actually talk to somebody and see what they recommend. What would they do if if they were you, you might get some unexpected help that way. Um, and if, if none of this is appealing to you or you feel like you're hitting a wall when it comes to getting help from your lender, then maybe, yeah, a short sale is something to seriously consider. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, of course the effects of a short sale include damaged credit for many years. And, uh, that's just something that, you know, you'll have to, prepare for, but I find that people who, you know, Megan go through short sales and foreclosures and bankruptcies, like they need to take a break from, uh, borrowing for a while because of, uh, the situation that they're in. And, um, you know, it's not something that is fun to go through or that I would promptly recommend, but it is a last resort. But before you get to that, I think Annie, look at some ways that you can bring in some extra income on your own on the side to more to accelerate that debt payoff, to have more control over it, and then talk to your lender. Simultaneously talk to your lender about what they would recommend you do. You might be pleasantly surprised. All right. Thanks, Megan, for chiming in. Lindsay's got a question for us, also voicemail. Lindsay's from Arkansas. Let's hear what she has to say. Hi, Farnoosh. This is Lindsay from Arkansas. I love your podcast and really appreciate the great advice and knowledgeable guests you have on your show. My question would be, what is the impact on my credit score if I switch to another credit card within the same company? There is one that just happens to offer uh, better rewards and cash back than what I currently have. Specifically, I'm wondering, would it negatively impact the length of my credit history? And would it be a hard inquiry on my account? Thank you so much for all your advice. Bye-bye. All right. A credit question from Lindsay. She wants to switch credit cards, wants to know what the impact on her credit score will be. And in order to receive new lines of credit, there will most likely be some sort of inquiry on your credit. It is 
a one-time inquiry in this case with credit cards, and it shouldn't have a huge impact on your credit score, maybe just a couple of points. Uh, That said, if you call your credit card issuer or your bank and you express that you're interested in switching to this new card, they may already have access to your credit profile. They won't have to pull your credit anew to see where you stand. And in that case, you might be able to bypass the inquiry. I'm not 100% sure about that, but definitely talk to someone and have them be on the phone with you as they review your credit profile. But even if they do do a sort of hard pull, it it is just a, a minor impact on your credit score. The one thing that could impact your score more is if you shut off this card. You know, we've talked about on this show a lot, Megan, where there's this thing called your debt to credit utilization. And it's very jargony and it's kind of this like uh, confusing term. But basically what it means is how much debt you're carrying versus how much credit allotment is in your name. So every card has a credit limit. If you are carrying some debt, let's say $500, and the credit card limit is $5,000, you are 10% utilized on that card, which is not a bad place to be in. 30% or more is kind of where you get into a risky territory in terms of the impact on your credit score. You want to keep your credit debt to credit utilization to, I would say, 30% or less. 10% is ideal. If you close this credit card, would that increase your debt to credit ratio? Would that increase your debt-to-credit ratio because you've got balances elsewhere? And by shutting off this credit, this line of credit, that basically reduces the denominator and therefore increases the ratio. If that is the case, I would leave this card open. There's no harm in leaving cards open if you're still not using them. I mean, assuming there's no annual fee or uh, any other penalty to keeping it open. Uh, But if you can keep it open and just for the sake of leaving that line of credit existing, I think that's probably the best move. I have absolutely done this. And I actually have a sibling who is big into credit card rewards. And he encouraged me to set up some different cards with much better rewards. And I'm now using them much more effectively. And I've let a couple of cards lay dormant instead of closing them, as you suggested. And one actually of the dormant ones recently had an annual fee put onto it. And at that time, I did decide to close the card and remove that fee because I didn't want to pay for something I wasn't using. But I really agree with having the second card opened, but keeping the other one open simultaneously with the same company. That would be what I would do. Cool. Yeah. So you heard it from me and you heard it from Megan. Keep the card open. Don't be so concerned about the credit inquiry. That's just part of the process. And credit inquiries actually, they stop impacting your credit after a year and they fall off your credit report after two years. So there is that to look forward to. All right. Miriam has a question. Miriam recently got a promotion at work with benefits as well as a match for investing. She does have $2,500 in credit card debt. She has a $200 monthly car payment and also $20,000 in student loans. She has depleted her savings account to pay off some of her debt to get where she is now. And I was looking for some advice for us on what she should do in terms of opening up a savings account. It looks like she might be looking for a high yield savings account. Yeah. So I think that there are a number of places online that are offering relatively higher than average interest rates, yields on on, on accounts, bank accounts. You can go to sites like nerdwallet.com, bankrate.com to search for them by interest rate. And depending, of course, on the minimum balance, it could be higher. It could be like if they say, if you put your deposit 5,000, you will earn a higher yield. 
um, so I think for Miriam, the, the best advice is to just start saving, you know, don't be so concerned about the yield yet. Like for her, she's in a place where she has no savings. And I feel like sort of with emergency savings, yes, why not earn 1.5%? Uh, if everyone else is offering 1%, that's, that's still extra money. But most importantly is that you're banking somewhere that you feel is convenient to you, doesn't have a lot of fees or any fees associated with the bank maintenance, with the account maintenance, where there are ATMs that are uh, that are around that you don't have to constantly be using a foreign ATM, which again costs uh, money. Although some online banks offer no fee ATM withdrawals and even a credit every month to reimburse you for using foreign ATMs and the related charges. But I think public service announcement for anybody who wants to open up a savings account, it's not just about the yield, especially right now when yields are nothing to write home about. It's really about convenience. It's about the other costs that may be potentially tied to having this account. Some banks charge minimum um, balance fees. So if you drop below a certain threshold, they charge you an annual maintenance fee. So be very careful about the fine print and just know what you're getting yourself into. Ask friends, but definitely sites like NerdWallet and Bankrate can be great resources for comparing in one place all the different features and attributes of various accounts. Online banks typically offer the best incentives and also credit unions. Uh, So I would start there. All right. Charles has a question. Uh, It's about uh, college savings. Take it away for us, Megan. Yes. So Charles wants to know what is the best education fund for his daughter's college savings. He says that in the next year or two, he's going to have a sizable chunk of change to deposit into it. All right. Best education fund for his daughter. Uh, So depending on her age, I assume she's still maybe in elementary school or young enough where you know, she has some time so that if you invest this money, it's like you don't have to pull out the money the next year. And I would never risk money in the stock market if your child is headed to college in the next, you know, one to five years. You want to at least have a seven to 10, 15 year trajectory so that you can manage the risks, the volatility in the market. So I'll just tell you, Charles, what we do. You know, we have 529 accounts for each of our kids, individual 529 accounts for them, um, where we contribute a fixed amount every month, knowing that when they are ready to go to college, hopefully they're into it, uh, that, that, you know, we're going to pay for a lot of it. But obviously, if they have their hearts set on going to a very expensive school and they get in, and it's a right fit for them that we're, we're not going to be held accountable to paying every penny of that, that we're really looking at schools we're saving with the, with the understanding that, you know, we can comfortably pay for a public school, uh, a private school that offers partial scholarship or some financial aid outside of um, student loans, maybe scholarship grants, work study. We're not in the mindset that it has to be all on us. We actually think it's important for kids to have some skin in the game. That's our philosophy. And so our savings pattern reflects that. And we know what we'll ultimately have in the next, I don't know, 15, 18 years when the kids are ready to go to college. A 529 is a great plan. You can open up one that uh, is offered by any state. Doesn't matter where you're living. You can opt into any state's 529 plan. We are with the New York State plan, um, which we find has really great historical historical returns. There's also a state tax benefit to investing. So there's that added you know, tax incentive for uh, New York residents who rent, opt into the New York 529 account. 
But you can go to a site like collegesavings.org to look and compare at all of these sites. Now, the other popular way of saving for college that some parents like because, hey, they may not have a kid that ultimately goes to college. And so the 529 can be a little worrisome for some parents. Like, what if my child doesn't go to college? Not because he or she is not ambitious, but because the world's changing. They may actually want to pursue a business idea or take a year off or I don't know. Who knows? College is not everything it used to be. Given that, some people would rather open up a Roth IRA where they can save for retirement, but also if they want to use that money for college, they can. There is that provision within the Roth IRA. Those are two ways. And then obviously there's brokerage accounts, which don't offer the same kind of tax benefits as a 529 or a Roth IRA. But if you have a long period of time before your kid is about to go to college and you don't know if this is going to be money that you necessarily will need for college that maybe, you know, plans will change. There's more flexibility with a brokerage account. You can use the money for anything, but there are different tax implications. All right. So those are my uh, ideas for you, Charles. Uh, Do you have kids, Megan? I don't. So I don't have this question in my financial future. (laughs) (laughs) Not yet. All right. Thanks, Charles, for your question. And and happy to hear that you're looking out for your daughter and her future. All right. Finally, Ben has a question. How should a person start the conversation concerning getting a raise, getting a promotion? All right, Megan, this is all you. Go for it. Definitely. In terms of starting that conversation, one thing that we do at my organization that I love is a quarterly check-in on development and career path. And if your organization isn't doing this today, it could be something that you initiate your own, on your own with your leader to say, every few months, could we check in about where am I going with my career? And during that conversation, highlight what have been your wins, what have been your goals, and then start teeing up where is your career heading and where they see your opportunities for growth, where can you continue to contribute, and start to get a pulse on if they're thinking you are doing great in your role, because I think self-awareness is so important here to know other leaders are saying great things, your leader's giving you great feedback, and that's really when to start probing on what does that next step look like. But until you're getting those signals, it's it's really not the right time to start the conversation about a promotion. So if you're getting those signals, you have a feeling that you're ready for the next role, I would say start gently bringing that up in the context of a development conversation to see where your manager is on that. Really, really good advice. Um, what about any advice around like figuring out what you're worth? Any experience you've had with this and knowing like just how much to ask for or what kind of, you know, responsibilities you feel like would merit a certain pay raise? Outside of the standard websites to start doing the online research, so Glassdoor, PayScale, LinkedIn's new tool, GetRaise, those types of sites, there are a couple of tactics that could be really interesting. The first is to find out, if possible, his current salary range, because a lot of organizations will tell you what your current range is, and then figure out if you're at the midpoint, are you close to the minimum, which gives you a lot of opportunity to say, hey, I'm a top performer. I should be more at the midpoint. So that's the first thing I could see happening for knowing his worth. And then the second piece would be talking to others either at the organization or outside to find out what's a typical salary range for that next role to get a sense of it. Because it's good to benchmark against other bigger companies if you're at a big one or smaller, for example, and get a sense of where those are coming in. So you're getting a little bit of third-party knowledge of what's actually happening in your market with your peers. So those are the two things I would say is to start doing a little bit more research that's more personal to you. 
And of course, download Megan's freebie, which has more on how to negotiate compensation. Go to meganbetterman.com slash tips. And actually the, the point you bring up, Megan, about the the salary range, the salary band, I will tell you it worked for me in my career. I asked my HR manager back in the day when I was in my early 20s at a news network because I was asking for a raise to no avail. And I was just starting to get a little... I don't know, just beat up about it. Like, like how many times can you really go in and ask for a raise? And I was like, let me just go in next time with some more numbers. I want to be armed with more numbers. So I asked HR about the salary range for my position. And I learned that I was very low on the totem pole on the range. I was like, I think the range went up to like 90 K and I was making under 50. And I'd been there for almost three years. And I was like, how long am I going to have to be here to get up to 90? And frankly, I was doing well more than my job description. So it wasn't like I was just sitting there thinking that time was going to merit me more money, that I, I was actually putting in a ton of work, more than I was expected to do. And I felt that it was time to to make more money. And so when I went into my manager's office and told her, first of all, she was shocked. She didn't even know because um, it's not something that people either remember or know or reference and uh, it didn't still get me that raise, but I remembered that $90,000 limit or sort of like cap. And when I switched jobs months later, because I basically was like, well, if I can't get the raise here and I'm not being appreciated, it's time to move on. And that's a tip. Sometimes you just have to move on. But I took that information about my salary range with me to the next job salary negotiations. And I asked for $100,000. <laughs> I just did. I was like the crazy woman who asked for twice her income from her last job. And you know what? They didn't give me the $100,000, but they gave me 90. And then within a year I was making another 100. I was making another 10 for a total of 100. And and I wouldn't have had the courage to ask and speak up had I not really known what I was valued really for at my last company. That was what I was valued at to the to some extent, but not really making it. And I knew that's what the market to some extent could afford. So I just I said I said it. I boldly stated the hundred thousand and they were like, well, okay, that's that's more than we were preparing to pay you, but we can get there. And how about we start at 90? I was like, uh deal. <laughs> I love a couple of things about what you said there in terms of anchoring higher and using a new job to really boost your income, that is such a strong way to increase it. I think that could even go to that first question from the speak pipe of looking for a new job and asking for a much higher salary is a great way to get more. Yes. Megan, thank you so much. This has been a really great Ask Farnoosh episode. I'm not just because the questions are really awesome, but you have been a really wonderful addition, a voice to this, uh, this q and I really appreciate your ideas, your strategies, and um, sharing more about your life with us. It really helps to bring this audience to the forefront and to life. And thanks so much for supporting the show. Thank you for having me. It's been great. MeganBetterman.com slash tips, y'all. Use it or lose it. Thank you so much, Megan. Have a great weekend. And everybody, hope your weekend is so money. 